0: Morning church, if you would please open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Pastor Polsky graciously let me preach in the week that he was gone, and I pray that he doesn't regret that decision. (laughs) Deuteronomy 11 uh, is a summary uh, of the first uh, major sermon that has been running from Deuteronomy chapter 4 to this present chapter uh, preached by Moses to the people of Israel just before they're about to enter into the promised land. Uh, reading this chapter, you will have heard everything in it that has come before already. A uh, rearticulation of the Shema, the commands to love the Lord and to obey Him. The people of Israel are about to go into the promised land that God promised to them generations ago. They actually left this land about 400 years before this as only 70 people, and now they return as a people more numerous than the stars in the sky. God's promise to them has come true. So the question it begged is if if, uh, God has been faithful to his side of the covenant, will his people also be faithful? Moses is going to be painstakingly trying to prove to the Israelites that choosing obedience is always the right choice. You will notice that this entire chapter is structured around three major choices that the Israelites are called to make. The choices are going to seem obvious. Choose blessing, and not curse. Uh, but one thing that we need to remind ourselves is that uh, human beings are prone to wander, and so that we're going to need to be constantly reminded of his goodness. So if you would, please follow along with me in chapter 11, and I will read select portions of the text. It's chapter Verse 1, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them, as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. Continuing in verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and a later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off of the good land that the Lord has given you. Concluding in verse 26, see I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, going down to the sun in the land of the Canaanites, who live in the Arabah opposite Gilgal, besides the Oak of Morah? For you to cross over to the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. Please pray with me. Divine Spirit, illumine to us the words of the Lord. Show us the wealth of glory that lies beneath these old familiar stories. Teach us the depth of meaning hidden in the songs of Zion. Raise us to the heights of aspiration that is reached by the wings of the prophet. Lift us to the summit of faith that is trod by the feet of the apostle. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen. So how are the Israelites supposed to choose the Lord? Well, they are to choose the Lord in three ways. First is they're to choose deliverance and not judgment. The second is to choose Yahweh, not Baal. And the third is to choose blessing and not curse. So the, the first choice set before the uh, Israelites is one of deliverance. How are they to make this choice? Well, Moses presents uh, two examples that the Israelites had experienced. Uh, positively, he speaks of the external military forces of the Egyptians who have been trying to thwart God's plan and hurt his people. In verses 2 to 4, Moses retells the deliverance of God vanquishing Egypt and drowning their armies in the Red Sea. That the first thing that God wants his people to know when he's asking them to obey him is what God has already done for them. God is basically saying, remember how I delivered you out of Egypt uh, and out of slavery? Plea- in response, I'm calling you to obey me. Negatively though, God reminds his people What happens when they do not follow him. Moses points uh, Israel back to the judgment at Korah's rebellion, where Dathan and Abiram and all the people of Israel who had rebelled against Moses uh, were swallowed up by the earth as the earth cracked open and took both of their houses down with them. God is using these two examples uh, to present to his people that nothing is going to prevent him from completing his plans. God will vanquish his enemies, but he will also discipline his people if they are not loving him with their whole heart. Many people today are are hesitant to tell their children or non-believers about the judgment that we see prevalent in the Bible. They want to shy away and they feel embarrassed by acts of judgment like this. Um, But if we do not tell people the entire counsel of God's word, we are actually taking a key part of the text away from them. God's acts of discipline remind us of the consequences of disobedience, but they also urge us on to the path of obedience. This is why uh, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, could say, Defend the Bible? I would as soon defend a lion. Unchain it, and it will defend itself. There are amazing defenses for the trustworthiness and the reliability of the Bible, but the best defense is the Bible itself. Um, We should not shy away from trying to tell people the entire counsel of God's word, because the Bible can stand on its own two legs. So Moses has been telling these two stories because he's speaking to the people who have seen with their own eyes the miracle performed by the Lord, things that no human on earth could have imagined to see before them. There's an interesting thing to note in verse 2 about the word that Moses uses. Moses uses the word uh, consider. It says, consider today. And that is the Hebrew word "yada." Uh, that word has used uh, roughly over about 900 times in the Old Testament and most often is translated as the word to know. Um, the knowing, though, is a very intimate kind of knowledge. This is not something that you might, you might read a textbook <laughs> and kind of store something away in a filing cabinet in your mind. No, y- y- yada. consider, is a, an intimate, holistic kind of knowledge. Mind, body, and soul. This is the word that Adam used uh, when he knew his wife and they bore a son. This is the word that Abraham uh, asked God, well, how will I know that the covenant promise that you just made to me will come true in Genesis 15? So Moses here is trying to tell the Israelites Uh, when he's saying consider, he is asking them to remember the experience of how God has delivered them uh, throughout the wilderness up until this point. This is why he finishes the section in verse 7 and says, "'For your eyes have seen all the great work that the Lord did.'" Uh, The Israelites don't just have head knowledge of what's happened to them. Uh, Moses says, I'm not speaking to your children, people who did not go through these things. I'm speaking to you who have personally experienced the deliverance of the Lord. They had known God as a tender father and a shepherd carrying them through the wilderness. What does it look like uh, to know something with our whole being? Um, All of my life, uh, I had been taught by my parents that uh, I should wear a helmet when you ride a bicycle. Uh, I actually remember the very first time, foothill Ranch, California, riding my bike uh, across the street. I had, uh, I had a helmet on, and I had elbow pads and knee pads because I was incredibly timid and afraid I would fall, and I did. But I got back up on my bike, and I kept trying. But quickly, after I mastered riding the bike, I realized that wearing a helmet was not cool. None of my friends wanted to do that. So I would ride my bike with my friends all around Foothill Ranch, California, but especially to Target and GameStop, because I loved to play video games. So when I was in the seventh grade, uh, I had been coming back from GameStop, picking up The Legend of Zelda, the Phantom Hourglass, one of the greatest games of all time. And as I was crossing the street on my way back, a car ran a red light and hit me, going 40 miles an hour. My face went through the windshield of the car, uh, and I was not wearing a helmet. I still carry uh, the the scars and marks of that on my body today, a scar on my forehead, a scar on my ankle, where the bike went through my leg. I, I, for no good explanation, I was only in the hospital for two days with no broken bones, no brain damage. I had a severe concussion and about 12 to 24 hours of extreme short-term memory loss. Um, I'd have no memory of this accident whatsoever. There is nothing filed in my, way of, uh, in my brain of that day, or really much of my childhood. What I do remember is waking up in the hospital and then being asked to watch 12 to 15 hours of helmet safety video instruction. <laughs> it may not have been cool to wear a helmet when I was a kid, but you know what's really not cool? is watching helmet instructional videos at Mi- uh, Providence Mission Hospital, and then getting a helmet about that big afterwards to wear it. You see, I had heard from my parents that I needed to wear a helmet, and, and I knew I needed to wear a helmet. But after my accident, I knew I needed to wear a helmet. Body, mind, and soul. So what is the choice being set before us today? Uh, the choice is to remember what God has already done in our lives. And love him because of how faithful he has already been. He is asking that you not only hear his words um, and store them away uh, for later in a filing cabinet in your mind, but to remember how he has called you out of destruction, how he has saved you from wrath. We should hear the stories of our parents and our grandparents coming to faith and marvel at them because of how faithful God has been to us for generations. So that's what it means to choose deliverance, not judgment, and to consider the Lord. Uh, But what happens when they actually enter into the promised land? Uh, Well, The land that the Israelites were about to enter into uh, is um, often referred to as the fertile crescent, uh, or the cradle of civilization. Uh, This land is abundantly flowing with uh, milk and honey, growth and development, And this piece of land has been fought over really since before the dawn of time. Verse 11 uh, describes this land and saying, But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. How else could you picture the most perfect place in the world, drinking from the rain of heaven? It's almost like heaven on earth. But what's clearly distinguished about this place that is that this, this is not Egypt. This is not the place the Israelites have just come from. Um, in that land, in Egypt, they had to uh, get all of their food and daily sustenance by back breaking work. But the land that they are about to go in, po- in to possess is a land where it says that they will eat and be full. This is a land, this is a land uh, overly abundant. And the reason that this place is better than anywhere on the face of the earth is that the text says is that the eyes of the Lord are upon it. Uh, God has said that he has kept his eyes on this land, and that is why it is so abundant. And so um, as the people are about to enter in, they're excited for this abundance, but there's a problem. There are a foreign people living in this land, the Canaanites. The Canaanites have been living in this land uh, really since before the Tower of Babel, and chief among the Canaanite gods was Baal. Uh, Baal was the storm god or the rain god who uh, they would pray to and worship to get rain uh, to produce all of the crops. So the Canaanites currently living in this land attributed all of the abundance in this land to their god, Baal. Uh, they got their blessing uh, primarily from uh, Child sacrifice rituals. Uh, the next slide. They got their uh, abundance primarily through child sacrifice rituals. If you wanted a good crop for the season, you would go and sacrifice your child, asking the Lord for abundance. All of their blessings came from this so called God. So when Moses says in verse 16, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, he's specifically talking about the god Baal here and telling them and warning them against worshiping him. So if, for instance, if the Israelites were, had come into the land, they're, um, they've been there for a few years, and um, as they begin to grow and cultivate the land, they look over at their neighbors, the Canaanites, and they got an amazing crop this year and then the Israelites didn't get as good of a crop, and they're thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, well, I'm worshiping Yahweh over here, and they're worshiping Baal, and they seem to be getting a better crop than me. Maybe I'll just worship Baal and Yahweh. I won't, I won't forsake Yahweh, but I will just worship Baal and Yahweh, and that way I can get the blessings of both the gods. And what Moses is saying is that there is no place for worship of other gods. God alone is the one to be worshiped. And if they did, if they deceived themselves and followed after other gods, the Lord said that his anger would quickly be kindled and that he would cease rain from falling down on that part of the earth. Here in America, we too live in a land of rich material prosperity. And it can be tempting to think that we don't need God because we have everything that we need. We worship our calendars and the invisible hand of the free market. Uh, Everything around us is so full of abundance that the thought of living without or being outside of some kind of luxurious area is is almost unthinkable. We actually have entire industries in our country designed to take us out of the luxury, like backpacking or hiking. Uh, Most will go our lives without ever being the wiser but having to do back-breaking work for our food. And I thank God for modern technology. I do not want society to regress back to some pre-modern age. I'm thankful for my car outside. I'm thankful for penicillin. I'm thankful for indoor plumbing. Yet, what all of these wonders do to us is they uh, take our eyes away from the good Lord who provides them all. We can begin to say to ourselves, um, it is because of our hand." It's because of the hand of the invisible, uh, the invisible hand of the free market that we got these things, not because of the Lord. But America is not the land that we are waiting for. The land that we are waiting for is, is more abundant and more real than we could ever imagine. Just like the Israelites, as they were standing on the other side of the Jordan, looking over into the promised land that they were about to go into, so we too, on this side of heaven, are looking for the new Jerusalem to come down out of heaven. We may have Aldi and schnooks, and it may seem like this land is a place flowing with milk and honey, but this is not our final home. This is not the place that the Lord has provided for us. Uh, We are living in the most economic, prosperous situation anybody could imagine, and yet we all still feel as we shift from one day to the next living in the doldrums, like this is not the way things were supposed to be. But there is a place prepared for us. There is a land that we long to go to. The desire that you feel in your heart for something greater speaks to the reality that there is something greater. But the way to that something greater is only through the worship of the true God, Yahweh. So what's different between us and the Israelites is that the Israelites about to enter into the land of Canaan, or land of Israel, uh, would have been tempted to worship other gods. As we wait to enter into the New Jerusalem, there will be no temptation to worship other gods. In the New Jerusalem, there will only be the worship of God. So now, the choice is set before us to choose Yahweh and not the gods of our world. Uh, A recognition that God is the one who abundantly provides, uh, protects our hearts from thinking that we can worship both God and mammon. We are to live right now as if God's kingdom has come here on earth as it is in heaven. So finally, so the uh, ultimate choice is set before the Israelites. We recognize that they're to choose uh, deliverance, not judgment. We've seen what it means to choose Yahweh and not Baal but now the ultimate choice is set before them, blessing or curse. And the choice seems obvious. Who would choose cursing over blessing? Why would Moses even need to present this option to them like it was a real choice? Well, that's because everything that we've seen about humanity up to this point in the Bible shows us that humans are always going to be tempted to disobey. Humans are always going to be tempted to choose cursing over blessing. Now, I know that that word, uh, obey, or that word, obedience, is a bad word in our culture. We have an entire clothing brand uh, dedicated to the uh, aversion of obedience. Uh, This company, uh, picturing Andre the Giant's face, um, uh, is a form of counter-propaganda, really trying to show that fascist regimes force obedience on people, uh, even when they don't want to. It, what, what they're trying to show is that obedience here is being depicted as the exact opposite of one of our, of our society's highest virtues, which is authenticity. Obedience, they're saying, is the opposite of authenticity. That uh, if we just obey because we're told to, that we are not actually living into our truest selves. That we are not uh, living as human beings are called to live. So, is that what God is asking of the Israelites here? Is God asking for blind obedience? Obedience not from a place of authentic love. No. No, uh, the primary motivation for obedience is not fear of what God will do, but love for what God has already done. This is biblical religion and something that you should never get wrong. The Israelites obeyed the Lord only after he already delivered them out of Egypt. Um, we are called to obey the Lord uh, because of what Christ has already done for us. In Jesus' famous words, in John chapter 15, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So we are to abide in Christ, and if we remain in Christ, or abide in him, then we will bear the fruit of obedience. So just like the fruit of a vine grows and bears fruit because it's connected to the vine, so we too, as Christians, will bear the fruit of obedience if we are connected to Jesus. But this is the thing, is that we will experience the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. This is, this is incredibly far from an inauthentic form of love. This is the most authentic form of love that we could possibly perform. And in order to remind the Israelites of this choice, to choose blessing and not curse, God commanded the Israelites to set up a covenant ritual of, uh, by setting up physical reminders. So on Mount Gerizim, they were to place a blessing, and on Mount Ebal, that were to place a curse. These were two mountains uh, that were in the land that they were entering into. And God wanted these two mountains set up as physical reminders to tell the people to trust God and to choose obedience and not curse. Uh, These would have been things that the Israelites would have seen every day as they were walking around, almost becoming white noise in the background. Moses concludes that the Israelites are to live according to all of God's rules once they are entering into the land. Basically, what Moses is doing is saying, here are the documents for how you're to be a nation. When you go in, these are the things that you're supposed to do, Um, and the Israelites are supposed to take these things and then go become the people of God that they were always called to be. So just like the Israelites had covenant rituals to remind them of blessing. And obedience, uh, cursing, and disobedience, we in the New Testament church also have covenant rituals to uh, remind us of blessing and curse. Today we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. This is a meal that we do in remembrance of Christ. This is a meal that we take together and we will continue to take together on this side of heaven in remembrance of what Christ has already done for us on our behalf. Uh, this is why the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 97, can say this. What is required to the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper, that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest, coming unworthily, they eat and drink judgment on themselves." So here in this sacramental meal that we take, we have both blessing and curse presented before us. Blessing for those who in true faith come and partake and curses for those who partake and do not have true faith. It is in and through this meal that Christ is transforming us by his spirit into his image so we can be more and more like him and image him to the rest of the world. So we know that we are to uh, love and personally know the Lord by choosing um, deliverance over judgment, Yahweh over Baal, and choosing blessing over curse really should be a no-brainer. But why do we need to keep being reminded of this? Why every week do you come to church and hear the same message, that you need Jesus? And that's because uh, we are so prone to wander. Like the great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, by Robert Robinson, it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to wander and to forget God and slide into disobedience. And this shows us that we need to fight for obedience in our life. This is true. Uh, But it is also primarily to show us that we needed someone to be obedient on our behalf. It's because we are so prone to wander that Christ came to be obedient for us uh, on our behalf. The message of the gospel is not pick yourself up by your bootstraps and make the right choice yourself. The message uh, that Moses tells the Israelites here to choose blessing over curse is later followed up by Moses saying, You are going to make the wrong choice, you are going to fail. No, the message of the gospel is that you could never make the right choice. The message of the gospel is to show over and over again that humanity always makes the wrong decision. Humanity made the wrong decision in the garden, picking the wrong tree. Humanity made the wrong decision in the wilderness, choosing the wrong gods over Yahweh. Humanity made the wrong decision when Pontius Pilate was letting one person go free, choosing Barabbas over Christ. Humans are prone to wander, and we are the ones who make the wrong choice. So we need someone to come and make that right choice for us on our behalf. But what Jesus came to do is amazing. He not only came uh, to uh, live the life that we should have lived by choosing the right path, but he also came to die the death that we should have died because we chose the wrong path. Uh, He stood in on our behalf Uh, so that we can finally enter into the promised land, the land that God has been promising to his people forever is available to you through Christ. This is why that we can cry out with one voice, who else could rescue me from my feeling? Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? Only a holy God. I would invite you to please uh, pray with me and then stand uh, as we conclude in singing Only a Holy God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you chose obedience on our behalf. Lord, we pray that out of an appreciation and a love for your faithfulness that we can faithfully wait the day for your return. You are the great and everlasting Father. Spirit, we ask you now to be with us and enable us to be more like Christ every day. Amen.